my message today is quite a simple one. We're going to have a bunch of fun. It's called uh, Motivations from Mordecai. And it's somewhat common that if we want to come to Father's Day and look at some of the fathers in the faith, some significant figures in the Bible found within the pages, we might go to people like um, Abraham or Joseph. We might look at David and the struggle that he had in raising a large family. The challenge with those guys is that they're not ordinary guys. There's something quite exceptional about them, and we have much to learn from them, but it's kind of hard to relate to them. For all of us dads in the room, you're probably a pretty ordinary guy, and you won't mind me saying that. Um, that doesn't mean you're not significant, but that you're simply giving it your best shot. You're working some probably quite reasonable job. You love your kids, and whether you feel like you're achieving it or not, the truth is, and I would put a wager on it, that every dad in the room, you want to be a really good dad. And so this morning, what I wanted to do for the minutes that we have is take a look at a bit of an unlikely character, a far more ordinary guy. And his name is Mordecai, and he's found in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. Now, we don't know what Mordecai does for a job, but he's probably somewhat important to some extent. We read in the Bible that he's often found at the city gates, and it's at the city gates that decisions for the city were made. So he was some sort of official. He was certainly not really, really low, but he was nowhere near being the king. He was just somewhere in between. Now, Mordecai has a younger cousin named Hadassah. They're both Jewish living in the land of Persia. Now, Hadassah, you may have heard of her by her Jewish name as Esther. And we have no idea how it came about, but Esther is an orphan. She has no mother or father in her world. And so Mordecai, assumedly quite a bit older, chooses to adopt his cousin in to be his own daughter. Now, we never get a mention of Mordecai's wife. So it's at least possible that Mordecai is solo dadding this. We don't know, but either way, whether he was or wasn't, this was a really big decision to make, to adopt his younger cousin in as his own daughter. He's perhaps a little more relatable for us on Father's Day. So let's see what motivations we can find from Mordecai. Let's journey through a little bit of the story and find out what we can learn about being a dad from the story. The first thing is this, um, good dads choose every day. Good dads choose every day. Now we don't know how Esther became an orphan, but there she was without a mother and a father. And Mordecai, her older cousin, chooses to adopt her. I love this. Mordecai chose to be a dad. Right, he could have easily said, I'm not prepared for this. He could have said, I don't know what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. He could have said, I'll find someone else. He, he could have said, man, all the Jews, they're heading back to Jerusalem after all this time we've spent in Persia. I'll just send her with them and she'll find a new life. But he didn't do that. Instead, he fronted up, he stepped up and he said, I will step up and I will raise this beautiful little girl. Now, I won't get into the birds and the bees of it. But it doesn't take a whole lot of commitment to find yourself being a father. But what our beautiful children actually need is someone to decide to be their dad. I remember when we first found out that Darcy was pregnant with Boston, our little two-year-old, and uh, it was one of the most life-changing, incredible discoveries we ever came to. And in hindsight, looking back on it now, it was even more incredible than we first anticipated. But the truth is, which is worth pointing out, is that although I was aware that I was now a father, it wasn't me that had to carry the baby for nine months. Thank God for that. Praise God for the women that do that amazing job. Darcy's body began to change. It was exhausting. It was difficult. But also this really exciting and intimate experience for her. See, I was involved on occasion, right? I did the odd like hand on the belly, feeling the little kick here and there, sort of picking up what I could. But outside of that, it was just knowledge and not experience. And yet for Darcy, she could feel every single kick. She could feel her body changing. She could feel the little hiccups that babies get. That's weird, eh? Little babies in the womb getting hiccups. She could feel the different positions that he was putting himself in throughout different stages of the pregnancy. 
When Boston was born after Darcy carried him for nine months, she welcomed him as a little friend. Mums, am I right? Like there's a this sense of intimacy. You this, this the thing has been growing inside of you and you've been feeling every movement. She hadn't seen his face up until this point, but there was an element of feeling like she knew him. For me, on the other hand, it was kind of like meeting a stranger. Now, I was filled with the same level of excitement and anticipation. I was just as pumped, but my starting position was very different. And every father out there experiences this, where you know you're a father, but the moment you see that little one, you make a commitment to be a dad. And it sets in motion a lifestyle which, of fatherhood, which in essence is just a series of hundreds and thousands of little decisions that you make to be present to care, to sacrifice, to invest, to encourage, to correct, and to raise up this gift from God. See, if you let fatherhood pass you by, you might miss the opportunity to be a dad. The other day, Darcy posted a photo on her social media accounts. I don't know which one. There's too many of them now, but I'm one or more of them. She posted this beautiful little photo of Boston putting his little cowboy boots by the front door. I want to show you a quick photo. There it is. The fact that he has cowboy boots is already out of this world. Um, it was the most precious little moment to see his little boots stacked by the door. Um, he's learned to come in the door, sit down, unzip his boots. He gets a little bit of help getting them off, and he's, he's almost there getting the boots off himself now. And before Darcy can even open her mouth and utter a word, Boston mutters, Short shoes, door, yeah. And he gets up and he scurries along and he carefully places his little boots by the door. It's the most precious little moment. And I, might, I know you might be like, okay, who cares? Um, this was beautiful to me. Like to even just see the photo and see, I'm just going about the day, I'm in the lounge and I glance over and I see his little do- shoes in front of the door. It's just amazing. And you might think it's not much, but what this has been is the fruit of investing into a little boy's life. Can I encourage the dads out there that continue to make tiny little decisions every day that you are making a monumental difference in the lives of your kids? Because it might start as little shoes off by the door, but then it ends up how they treat their classmates. It ends up being the way that they persevere when the job interview doesn't go well, the way they manage their finances, and then the way that they raise their own kids one day. Legacy is the fruit of the thousands of little decisions we make, seen or unseen, noticed or unnoticed. See, the joy of legacy is for the guys that didn't just become fathers, but chose to be a dad. Stephen Covey, the author, he put it like this. He said that every day across America, he's obviously an American, fathers drive home from work and some make the right decision along the way and some don't. He says, the wisest way to use the time as you drive home is to make the decision to once again adopt your children, to be a dad. Mordecai chose to raise up Esther, and it's a decision he would have had to constantly make every day. It would have been difficult. He says this, he says, mentally go through the process of taking off the work hat and putting on the dad hat. Mentally go through the process for whatever that means in your life of resigning from work and volunteering to be a father. You know, I think a lot of fathers underestimate the value of choosing to be a dad instead of choosing to be something else. There are seasons and times and circumstances for everything, but in almost all of them, what our kids need most from us is for us to choose to be their dad. See, when your child messes up, even though you gave them without a doubt crystal clear instructions, what they need is a dad far more than they need a policeman. When your child is working hard to advance in their sport and make the representative team, sure, Train them, coach them, work with them, but understand that you are always first their dad and second their coach. See, who you raise your kids to be will always be more important than what they become capable of doing. One of the proudest realities for me being Boston's dad 
is not the words he can speak. It's not the blocks he can stack. It's not the colors he can identify or the shapes that he can name. But it's how kind and sweet that he is to other people. Because he's going to have other people in his world that are going to assist with his development. And of course, I've got a main role to play in that. That's not other people's job. I've got to, to weigh in on that. But he's going to have other people in his world that help him develop and grow into all sorts of different things. But no other person outside Darcy and I will care for his soul as much as anybody else. So that's our first and most important job. Choose to be a dad. Because being a dad is what our kids need most from us. Mordecai knew that Esther was surrounded by all sorts of other people that could have trained her up in all sorts of ways. She was a part of an established kingdom. But until he committed to being her dad, she remained fatherless. And you get the sense that Mordecai understood that the greatest gift he could give to young Esther was to simply choose to be her dad. Now hear me out. Teach your kids. Train your kids. Please, please, for the love of all things holy, discipline your kids. Do all of that. But it's so sad when you speak to adults who to this day are still affected by a dad and they say, came down on me so hard. They say that he was the strictest person in my life. They say he was never satisfied with my performance. They will experience all of that from everyone else in their world. So let's strike the balance to raising them up, but understanding that we have been positioned in this very unique spot to not only develop them and grow them, but to simply be their dad and care for the condition of their soul. And, and I want to honor every single dad in the room, every single guy in the room that has chosen to be a dad for someone that isn't your biological child. Like Mordecai, you've understood that taking someone under your wing and investing into them literally makes you a dad. You've shared words of life and encouragement. You've built trust so that your timely correction would be well received by them. Maybe you're a family friend or an uncle, you're part of a small group, and rather than standing at a distance, you've entered in and chosen the dad life, and you'll never fully understand the impact you're having on those you've invested into. You know, I carry a deep conviction in my heart that we would build a church where every man could father someone, whether they have kids of their own or not, that every child would have father figures in their world, that when a biological father isn't present, the church would fill that void, that no child would go without deep, loving fathering. Guys, let's continue to be a dad first. Is that cool? Second thing is this. God's, sorry, good dads model the way. Good dads model the way. Children start out believing that everything their parents do is not only the right way to do it, but the best way to do it. Dads, you are their superhero. I remember when I was young and I would always want to race my dad, like a running race, right? And oh, how sweet I was. I would race him and he would beat me every time. You might say, that's sad. Like, didn't he give you one win? Never gave me one win. He would race me and he would laugh as he crossed the finish line and go, I'm the fastest man on the planet. And I believed him. I was actually young enough to believe him, but I remember thinking, well, I must be pretty quick then if the fastest man on the planet's only beating me by a couple of seconds. Dad, you are the strongest person they know. You are one of the safest people they know. They think that you can help with anything that needs helping. You can fix anything that's broken. You are the answer to the challenges of life. And while our kids are still young, you don't get to opt out of that. That's the way they see you and what they observe from you will shape the way that they see the world. Now, as they get older, you'll know that they begin to grasp a more realistic understanding of your ability or inability. I now know my dad was far from the fastest man in the world. But there's just something innate within us. It's how we've been wired to look to our parents as an example. You know, one of the hardest things about having a toddler for us is that toddlers eat dinner at 5 p.m. You're probably still at work. Toddlers eat dinner at 5 p.m. And that's hard, but that's not the hardest part of it. The hardest part of it is that Darcy and I now can't be like, oh, we'll just grab a pizza. 
It's been a long day, we'll just make some toasted sandwiches. That was easy to justify when it was just us, but now we have to make sure we conjure up some healthy little meal with veggies and it's all cut up and there's all these different elements of things because now we're not just thinking about ourselves. Now we're thinking about the messages that we're sending to this little guy and the culture that we're setting for our family. It's like that age-old saying, right? And maybe you've had a dad or someone say it to you before. It's do as I say, not as I do. I have had that said to me. My mum used to say that to me all the time. Do as I say, not as I do. Listen to my instruction. Don't worry about what I'm doing. I imagine if I was to say that to Boston, Boston, eat your veggies. Mum and dad are having pizza. My life. He'd lose the plot. It doesn't work. As parents, we must model the way in every season of our kid's life as to what it means to live a healthy, God-honoring life. See, quite some time ago, we wanted to introduce the idea to Boston of praying before dinner. He was real young, and he didn't he couldn't really figure out much. We're like, Let's start introducing this. And we would hold hands, and Darcy and I would pray, and he would hold our hands and just stare at us like this. And our eyes would be closed, and I'd take a little peek, and he's just freakily like staring at us, growing more and more impatient with, why are you stopping me eating? The food's literally right in front of me. But we persisted. Every day, we would hold hands, and we would take a moment to be thankful to God. Well, now we place the food down in front of him, and Boston goes, Mommy, pray. Daddy, pray. And if Darcy's already sitting at the table and I'm still in the kitchen slaving over a hot stove or something, I'm not sure. Maybe that, maybe the other way around. But if I'm not there yet, he'll go, Daddy, hand. Daddy, pray. Like, he understands that that's what we do now. And we will pray, and he'll tightly close his eyes. He'll go, like this. It's so precious. Um, and we'll pray and we hold hands and at the end we say amen and then he lifts both hands in the air and we follow him and we'll go, praise Jesus. That was his idea. We'll do it. It's amazing. When he's impatient, sometimes we're halfway through the prayer and he squeezes his hands out and just lifts his hands. Like, I'm done. Let's eat. Like, amen. We, we're finished with this. <laughs> Why is this taking so... And, and the other day it started to be like, hi, hi, hi. Shh, buddy, we're praying. Hi, hi. Now, it sounds a little bit wholesome. It sounds lovely, but let me assure you that the first couple of weeks were absolute carnage. The first couple of weeks were a shambles. But our kids catch character far more than they pick it up when we try to teach them. If I tried to instruct Boston what we were doing, sure, I used words, but he wanted to see us model the way. He saw us doing it, and that was the important part. See, some days he refuses to pray. And so what does he know is we hold hands anyway, and we just pray over the top of his whinging and his crying. We obviously keep the prayer a little shorter that time. We want to illustrate to him, actually, even when we're upset, we pray and we thank God. Even when we don't feel like it, we take a moment to be thankful to God. Back to Mordecai in the book of Esther. This is the man who humbly chose to be a dad despite the difficulty. Mordecai not only took care of her physical needs, but also her spiritual needs too. He modeled spiritual practices. There's this guy named Haman, and he wants to kill all the Jews in the land, of which Esther is one. There's a large group of Jews that stayed back in Persia while everyone else returned back to Jerusalem. And the Jews who remained back, they hear of their impending doom, that they're all going to be killed, and they spiral into pandemonium because they realize that they're on the chopping block. Mordecai weeps, prays, and fasts. That's his response to crisis. That's his response when he feels like his back is against the wall. He weeps, he prays, and he fasts. When Esther, his daughter, sees him praying and fasting, she asks her now dad, Dad, what's going on? Why are you praying like that? What's happening here? And this is where he says those really famous words. He says, Esther, perhaps you were chosen as queen for such a time as this. I want you to see what's happening here. See, it wouldn't have been easy for Mordecai to send Esther into the throne room of the king. She may have been queen, but if she entered wrongly, or the king was having a moody day that day, it might have been the end of, his li- end of her life. 
It wouldn't have been easy for him to send her into the throne room, just like it's not easy for you and I to send our kids out. It's not easy to send them to daycare for the first time. It's not easy to send them to the youth camp or off to university. It's not easy to help them pack their bags as they move city or country. It's not easy as they get married and start their own family unit where you are no longer the head of their household. We like to protect our kids. But Mordecai realized there was a time when a child matured and their purpose was bigger than what was going on at home, where they needed to branch out and to go and to have a crack and to step into God's call on their life. And so this begs the question, are we preparing them for the world. And, and I don't just mean making money or refining their character or developing their career or all those things. That's amazing, but are we developing them spiritually? Are we helping to train them to dream big God dreams? Can we give up on the lie that a good education and a good job equals a happy and satisfied life? Doesn't. You know as well as I do, it just doesn't. Are we equipping them to pray? Do they know of God's promises that ought to be their foundation? Esther knew something in her spirit. And it wasn't because she got a good lecture from Mordecai one day, but she had seen her dad pray and she had seen her dad fast. She had seen the response that he took in the midst of crisis. She saw it with her own eyes. Character is caught, not taught. And so when she's preparing to step into the throne room for what will be one of the scariest and biggest moments of her entire purpose, what does she do first? She calls all the Jews in the land to pray and fast. She doesn't think, I've got this. She doesn't just think, you know, I've been trained for this. She goes, what did my dad do? How did he handle crisis? When he was feeling nervous and he didn't quite know how to go about something, what did he do? She saw it with her own eyes. She caught something from her dad. She caught something that catapulted her into her purpose. That might have just been the most valuable thing that her dad ever taught her. Author Max Licato, he shared a story of how he caught something from his dad. He said it like this. He says, one of the earliest memories I have of my father was when I was old enough to read and old enough to get bored in church. I was sitting holding his pocketbook that had a check stub in it and a check ledger. And I remember, what I remember is that there were entered a series of checks written to the Andrews Church of Christ. Not just one, but all the way down. One page, down the next, down the next, down the next, down the next. Only later would I learn his practice of sitting down the first day of every year and writing out 52 contributions. The money wasn't there, and he wouldn't give all of those checks at once. He waited until the dates came by. He post-dated them, but he put those checks in a drawer so that on Sunday morning he wouldn't forget and he wouldn't be tempted not to give. He didn't make a lot of money, and I don't know what the amount was, but do you think I caught something? He never sat down and gave me a lecture on being a steward, but he gave me a lesson. As they see us, as they watch us, as they listen to us, what are they catching? keys, you can join me. That'd be awesome. I love how Paul in the Bible spoke about this idea of influence. He says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he says, and you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. I wonder if a rephrased version of the quote I read out to you earlier, do as I say, not as I do. Maybe you've heard that before. For us dads could be this, do as I say, which matches what I do. And that we would have confidence that what they would hear from us and what they would see us do would be a dad that's willing to pray a dad that's willing to seek God, a dad that's willing to honor God with their life, a dad that leads their family into church, a dad that makes time for prayer, even if it's just a couple of minutes at bedtime, a dad that treats people in the streets graciously in a God-honoring way. Could that be our approach to fatherhood? Here's another dad whose, influence, whose faith influences his entire family as I come to a close. John 4, verse 46 to 53. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine, speaking of Jesus. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. 
When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Man, I couldn't imagine what that would be like as a dad. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. I love this. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believed what God said. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Here it is. So he and his whole household believed. He and his whole household believed. He had an issue. He had a challenge. He took it to Jesus. He took God at his word. He believed. He put his faith in Jesus and it led his whole household to believe. His faith ultimately led to the faith of his whole household. Men, don't underestimate the impact that your faith can have on your entire household. One of the greatest decisions you could ever make is to show your kids what Jesus looks like by the way that you live your life. Because you have been placed in a unique position And as you seek God wholeheartedly, you lead your kids down that path towards a life of purpose. To all the dads out there, on behalf of the kids that might be reluctant to say it, thank you. Thank you for what you carry. Thank you for what you sacrifice. Thank you for what you invest. Thank you for choosing every day to be the best dad that you can be and for understanding the immeasurable value of modeling the way. See, the craziest thing about being a dad is when they grow out of needing to have their nappies changed. And they learn to make their own lunch. And all of a sudden, my gosh, they're driving their own car and they're managing their finances and they're growing their own families. You're still their dad. We've been given this beautiful gift to be a lifelong voice of encouragement, direction and strength. We all need that. And so thank you for being that in every season of their lives. See, Esther began our story as an orphaned Jewish girl in a foreign land. And she has a dad who's willing to make the choice to decide every day, yes, it's hard. It never gets really easy, but I choose that hard over a different hard. He made the choice and he was willing to model the way and to show her what to do with the praying and the fasting in the face of adversity. And by the end of the story, she's the queen of Persia that has led to the freedom of her people. I'm not sure Esther could have done that if it wasn't for her dad. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for every dad in the room, both those that have had biological children and those that have chosen dad, equally worthy of honor, equally worthy to be thanked. I thank you for their sacrifice. I thank you for their investment. I thank you, Lord, that even though they won't see the fullness of the fruit that comes from what they sow, I thank you that you do and those around them do and the many people their children will impact along the way, they will get to sit under that tree that you have helped to plant and sow and water and grow. I thank you for them. I also, God, just want to thank you for the mums out there that also are dead. The mums out there that are doing it on their own, God, that's hard. But I thank you, Lord, that you have equipped them to do hard things. It is hard and it is challenging, but you are with them in their midst. And I just really pray right now, Lord, even though we're focused on Father's Day, God, would you just bring an overwhelming sense of encouragement and peace in life to the mums out there that are doing it all on their own. We honour you too. I thank you, Lord, that you are our ultimate example of a father. 
that not a single guy in this room will ever get it completely right. We don't expect us to give us the foresight to know when we've messed it up, the humility just to reflect, to get better, and to keep on going for the sake of our children and for the sake of the calling that is upon our life. I thank you for every dad. I honor them and I thank them in Jesus' name.